Hello, Wild Wanders, and welcome to our wicked window of the internet. Won't you pour yourself a cup of your best tea, light a candle to stave away the darkness, and cozy up as we tell you a story? Wittershins is a weekly podcast where we will dive into dusty bookshelves and winding darkened pathways looking to stories from folklore, fairy tales, mythology, legend, and beyond. We are accompanied by our trusted bard and guitarist, Joe Saborin, who will be live composing for us as our characters find their way out of the thickets and snarls of their tales. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator to peer over bough and branch, following our heroes and foes into far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin once upon a time. Hey there, everyone. This is Ashley, your narrator. And Joe, your bard. And thanks for coming back. Uh, we In episode three, we went through and I read Lygia by Edgar Allan Poe, and Joe did some live composition of the narrative. Um, we wanted to initially have the discussion portion be at the end, and then upon realizing it was over 40 minutes long, we decided to have this go into part B, which I think will be a norm from now on. I think we're going to be releasing the story as an initial episode on Thursdays, like we have been doing. And then on Fridays, we'll be releasing part B, where we go more into discussion, kind of dissecting our process a little bit, um, talk about the story and just other interesting little tidbits that we want to share with you all. Yeah, that way, if you're just here for the the stories, you you just listen to the episode with the stories and you don't have half-finished podcasts kicking around. Um, and if you're here to write your research paper on... Uh, Deep cut Edgar Allan Poe. One. Maybe go elsewhere. <laughs> but we are proud you're here. Also, this is another thing where, you know, maybe you've already recently read the story or really familiar with something and you just want to go into a bit of an examination without having to listen to my melodious voice. Then we have part B that you can just dive right into if you're really familiar with it. So that was an interesting story we read. Um, there's not really a lot of dialogue. I don't think there's actually any dialogue at all. No, there's not really any dialogue. I mean, there's points where our narrator will bring in like quotes from other people. Um, the only real back and forth, and it's not really a back and forth, is with Lygia's poem, The Conquered Worm, and then the little snippet of dialogue right before she dies. Um, but that's really it. Everything else is just real rich meaty description it's very interesting for me when i'm live composing i tend to use the way that ash reads voices as an indicator of timbre um tonal quality uh for the guitar um so for this i found myself cluing an awful lot to how poe talks about a voice um so there are moments where he's talking about Lygia's voice and um, I've used these rich, low, kind of short notes to to give you the idea of that. Whereas as he starts to um, read in his own voice um, Lygia's poem, uh, I've gone a lot higher and given it this very disparate, kind of wispy, kind of out sort of a feel. Um, so that was a lot of fun just to play with where in the voice of, of my own instrument 
um, things happen and use the whole range of the instrument as opposed to just um, guitar players tend to get stuck in the middle of it uh, or get stuck in the first end of the instrument um, whereas this gave me an opportunity to play with the whole the whole thing and really explore the different textures and things like that. Well, and this is also a really interesting story to look at exploring textures and kind of shifts in how the story moves along. I mean, in the beginning you're having our narrator, so Poe, but the unnamed narrator uh, of the story describing Lygia for many pages. <clears throat> I believe it was four pages uh, of just pure description. Really dense important description it too. was and honestly it was really it, it was nice to have in the mouth it was a description that was just really pleasant to speak um you know just if you're ever feeling it you can just grab some poe and just chew on those words for a little while it's quite a meal but it's interesting because you know you have that in the beginning and poe or the narrator is just really enamored obviously with lygia and kind of goes through this transition of, of discussing what she looks like and then how she thinks and how well read she is, uh, you know, very focused on the transcendentalist nature of who she is and the kind of spirit she is. Um, and then as she starts to slowly fade and giving up on life, that's when you have the the descriptions get a little bit less full, a little bit less flushed out. Then you have the poem, um, you know, when she kind of gives, gives up the will to live and like the fire of her spirit for life is just slowly fading. Um, there's almost, I don't know, not quite disgust, but there's definitely an aversion to that sort of thing, which you see when, you know, he starts talking about her and kind of idolatry. Um, and then it transitions into Lady Rowena, and there's one sentence of description about her, and then it just goes into describing the architecture and the setup of their bridal chamber. Um, and the only time that you really start getting any description of her is when she starts transforming back into Lygia, at which point our narrator is also in his opium-induced dreamscape, of an existence. Um, so everything is a little bit more surreal anyway. Things have a quality of movement to them, and even the architecture starts to have a quality of movement in life. That's something that, as a musician, I, I love the movement of the words. Um, there's so much motion in the way that Poe is writing um, throughout the story, but especially toward the end. Um, and motion... For me, um, both rhythmically and harmonically, is a way that I do storytelling when I'm when I'm mixing or when I'm um, when I'm performing live. I'll use uh, a lot of um, modulation, things that uh, wibble and wobble sonically, um, to tell stories. Whether it be something very fast but very subtle um, to make you feel a little tense, or something very slow and washing back and forth to give you um, an idea of space. Um, so it's very interesting to kind of, as someone who appreciates music, to kind of catch that in the way that Poe writes um, and in the way that he's written the story. It's also beautiful how he's steeped the entirety of, of the story in the character of Lygia. Um, you feel that coming through 
uh, you feel like you've known Lygia forever by the end of the by the end of the story. It's really... Which which is kind of funny because within the first paragraph you have this moment where the narrator is is questioning his own memory of her and saying you know that he doesn't even know her paternal last name like he doesn't know anything about her family so it's this it's this thing of where like the narrator is clearly obsessed and that obsession slowly morphs and changes and then goes into like what is feeding you know his like sort of drug addled mind towards the end um one of the things that when i was looking into it it actually was saying is that this may be considered a satire of just the transcendentalist movement overall. Um, and sort of, I mean, you can see from some of the ways that he describes that perception and that lifestyle and just even how the character and that idea of what transcendentalism was and like how those characters acted, you can see how that changes throughout the story. So, I mean, I would definitely buy that it's a bit of a satire, you know, the way especially that he, I mean, just even how it ends and the, like, exaltation of seeing his now second dead wife turning into his first dead wife. God's got a lot of dead wives. I mean, you know, when when you got gothic romance, you gotta just start racking them up, I guess. Fair. Another beautiful thing we get to see in this, and I kind of want your take on this, is um, Poe the poet a little bit. We get um, some of, uh, though he attributes it to another character, we get poetry. Um, um, yeah, poetry in in this piece of prose. And um, for me, it is distinctly Poe. Which is fascinating because you'd think he'd try to change that voice to give it to a different character, but he's just like, no, nope, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write poetry the way that I do, um, and it's beautiful. Uh, if you get a chance, I've actually just put out a video of just the poem section uh, of the story. Um, if you're if you're interested in going and picking out just that piece, sitting and editing it today, it was just like, man, this is achingly beautiful. Um, what do you think of that? What do you think of Poe as a poet? And what do you think of the voice he, he chooses to use for Lygia as a poet? Well, I mean, I will say, you know, the one thing that you find with Poe and with, I mean, it's just a lot of these like really keystone writers. They have a thing and they just stick with it. They're, they're not really there to adapt their voice. I mean, obviously it's going to change over time, but... I mean, when you read something that is Poe and you might not maybe see it, you can tell, like, there's a very distinct voice that Poe has. So, I mean, I think that it makes sense that he wouldn't deviate from that because that's just not his style. Um, I mean, the thing about that poem in particular and that particular moment in the story is that keystone, like, turning moment where... Lygia kind of turns from this, you know, pedestaled figure into someone who he, I don't know, the, the narrator just almost looks down on a little bit because it's, so the whole thing is this idea of, you know, a will to live and, you know, being weak willed and that's why Lygia died. 
was because she just wanted to live so badly, but she just couldn't like will herself enough to live. So it's this point where like you see the reverence of Lygia almost fading a little bit. And that's with, I mean, the, the choice of words of kind of referring to her with like the terms like heathen and things like that. I believe that this is where we also get that initial um, first quoted author and that little snippet that, you know, Poe has at the beginning of all of his stories, um, which it also turns out may not actually be a quote from that author. It seems like it may have potentially been fabricated, but that the reason Poe wanted to include it is because this particular person was known for uh, witchcraft and some other sorts of dubious things. So it's, it's kind of introducing this perspective and turning your narrator's look at Lygia and that moment in that poem, it's, you know, it's, it's in a way her giving up and looking at, you know, the, just like the, I mean, it's the conquering worm. It's like death conquering life. Um, but then as you see throughout the rest of the story, as the narrator starts to, or I guess continues to obsess over Lygia and thinks about her more and more, you can see that he kind of starts like changing his opinion. I don't think it's a, it's the fault or cause of Lady Rowena. Maybe it's that just the author is giving up on life. You know, he describes himself as childlike looking at Lygia. So it may just be a further kind of fall in the face of that. Um, because then towards the end, it's like he kind of starts being like understanding her sort of crazed love and seems to be wanting to go back to it. So there is a little bit of the sort of subcontext that's happening within all of this. Um, again, I think, you know, you can put it back into this idea that this might be a satire, you know, not as in your face as other satires, but it's at least some sort of social commentary. One of the cool things uh, about Poe, um, as opposed to, um, Grimm, which is what we've we've read previously on the podcast, and a lot of other artists, uh, artists, um, a lot of other writers who write kind of the darker, the folktale, the things like that, is that Poe writes a lot of first person, um, which both for you as a reader and me as a composer is much more interesting than the sort of linear, um, omniscient narrator type of thing um we talked last time about kind of language that gets used in folk stories to put you into a place the once upon a times and you know kind of that pull you in pull you out of the story type of thing um poe is kind of the opposite of that where because of the way he's written most of the works that i can think of right now in the first person um from a composition point of view, you kind of have, you don't have the other character's thoughts. You only have the thoughts of the narrator, which is freeing in one way because you just have to focus on this one character's thoughts. And so you can kind of go, okay, what if I were in this place? 
you kind of can drop out. Yeah, of... you follow. You mean you follow along with what their thought is, and you you have to really like. I mean, you have to become the character, the narrator, to really understand how the story is progressing. Which made it really kind of fun for me as as a, a composer to go. Okay, what if I were here? It was really, really kind of, especially getting into uh, the point where he's reading her poem. You just kind of drop and put yourself in that character's shoes and only have to worry about one character, um, which it's different from when we we recorded like Juniper Tree. Juniper Tree, we were doing a lot of um, atmosphere building and things like that. Um, a lot of kind of following the story, again, in a linear fashion. Whereas with this... It may sound more hectic um, in composition, but it's reaction to a single character. It's well, and it's a reflection too. I mean, correct. that that's a that's another real staple thing, um, like a characteristic of Poe's work, is pretty much all of it is more or less a reflection on something that's already happened. When Poe starts, it's kind of this. You know, some stories are a little bit more uh, intensely so in saying like, oh, like, you'll think I'm mad for doing this, but let me assure you that I'm not. And then we'll proceed to tell you about how insane the person is. But tell tell heart. (laughs) But with this one, it's more a matter of like, you know, oh, let me tell you about her. And then again, there's that moment of oh, wait, I don't know as much about her as I thought. But it's, it is it is always in reflection. But there's a kind of quality of temporality to it, even mm. though it is clearly, you know, begun as a reflection on things that have already passed. Um, I mean, in that way, I don't know. Does it, Do you find that it helps or hurts or, I don't know, maybe doesn't really matter? Um. It helps to have it be sort of loose. There's no real timeline to follow. Um, Whereas, again, linear storytelling in a fairy tale, um, you can kind of get caught up in here's the beginning of the piece, here's the middle of the piece, here's the end of the piece, and then we're done. With this, I struggled to really place a theme on it. Um, and I, I kind of sat with the idea of using clusters of notes as themes, as opposed to, if you listen to, um, the story from last week, um, Fear Not, there's a definite theme that's established right at the beginning. There's a musical motif that happens, um, with this, because we have, a kind of unreliable narrator who says at the beginning of the story that they're an unreliable narrator. And we have this sort of first person closed world, like of looking at things. Uh, we only get one point of view. So I kind of turned it less on, I'm going to set up these themes and these motifs to show, uh, to build a world and put the characters in it and focused more on, um, sets of notes and clusters of notes and the spacing of notes to kind of start to tell the story and kind of tell where 
the the character the 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 narrator of the story is at any point in time um so it was it's not easier harder anything like that it's just different it's not it's a new place to sit for me which um is a huge part of what doing this podcast was about from from my end of the microphone just kind of getting a chance to a hear some cool stories i haven't heard before and and you know, I'm I'm certainly doing more Poe reading than I ever have before, just kind of digging into these stories. Um, but it's also a chance for me to kind of explore how I compose and how I react to a situation. And I had that moment of, what if I can't come up with ideas? Um, what if I can't come up with a new, you know, 20-minute to 40-minute long composition every week and start falling back on the same tropes and... Um, so it's been nice to explore that and to realize that three weeks running, I haven't repeated, I don't think any, um, tunings or anything like that. It's been very, um, very different for each story. You know, if you're interested in anything at any time, um, you know, we're all over social media, both in our own personal guises and also now as Wittershin Stories with a brand new spanking website and all these other things. So if you have any thoughts, you know, tweet us, Instagram, Facebook, send us an email. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you and definitely get some ideas going because this is going to keep running for a long time. So we'd love to get some input and perspectives. And we definitely love it if you guys would go and, um, obviously follow us on social media. That's always super fun, but also, um, tell your friends. Um, it's kind of tough to do the proverbial steal their phone and subscribe to the podcast thing because of the world we currently live in. But, um, everyone's getting to that point where they're just getting bored. So share some stories with your friends. And, um, if you'd like, uh, leave a review as well, that helps us out, helps us, um, kind of gauge where y'all are at with the podcast what do you like what do you not like with that i think we're gonna wrap up um what's on the docket for next week so next week i think we're gonna look at some poetry i'm i'm actually really excited about this one it's a poem in particular that i have loved for quite some time and in my own business old growth alchemy i actually made a tea blend last year based on it and keep thinking of different ways to kind of play around with it. So we're going to be reading The Goblin Market. This is one that I have never read and I am incredibly excited for it. It's going to be great. Wittershins is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and folk musician Joe Saborin in the presence of their curious cat Django, a few too many half-drunk cups of tea, and far too many begrudgingly half-completed art projects. If you'd like to follow along Joe and his musical machinations, you can find him at Joe Saborin Music on Facebook and Instagram, or joesaborin.com. For more glimpses into the wild woods of story, botanical libations, and central ephemera, you can find me, Ashley, at Old Growth Alchemy on Facebook and Instagram, or at oldgrowthalchemy.com. Or you can become patrons to us both on Patreon. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with a seat open for you by the fire. <laughs>